Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. We are continuing a series that we've been in through the month of December, a series that we're calling Jesus Is, Jesus Is. And in these weeks, we are just looking forward to leaning into the very thing our souls were created for, to discover and delight in the person of Jesus Christ. I know that may not feel like the top thing on the list all the time. Right now, you might be concerned about finishing your Christmas shopping, or you may be concerned about, you know, the thing on your Christmas list that you hope you get. Those things are fantastic, but what our souls were ultimately created for and long for most is to discover and delight in the person of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we may be walking through very difficult seasons of the soul. And what feels like the most pressing thing is to experience some relief from the struggle that we are going through right now. But I promise you, what the soul longs for more than anything else is to discover and delight in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, that is what eternal life is about. It's not so much that we go to heaven when we die. It is that we get to know and revel in and experience the person of Jesus Christ in all of his beauty and in all of his fullness. Because listen, if my greatest burden was lifted, but I didn't get to experience Jesus Christ, I would miss the whole point. If I got everything I wanted for Christmas and all of my lists taken care of, but I did not get to discover and delight in the person of Jesus Christ, my soul would miss what it was ultimately created for. So we want to just spend some time reveling and discovering and delighting in who Jesus is this holiday season. And what better place to do that than in Colossians chapter 1? We've spent some time just camping in this beautiful section of Scripture that just accents who Jesus Christ is. Um, If you've been with us, then you know the book of Colossians was written by a man named named Paul, and he was one of the early leaders in the church. And... um, He was writing to a church that had encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were delighting in and discovering the person of Jesus Christ, growing in Jesus, growing in the gospel, and then all of a sudden, a threat entered into the picture. Um, A teaching, a new ideology was threatening their delight in the person of Jesus Christ. And this ideology was called Gnosticism, a very fascinating school of thought. And Gnosticism, really at the heart of it, camped around the idea that there are these two worlds that live in contrast and in conflict with each other, and they never come in contact. And that may sound like a simple thing, but it mattered in immensely in that particular context. And so they believe like there is heaven and there is earth. They are constantly in conflict, never in contact. There is the invisible world, the visible world, always in conflict, never in contact. There is the world where God lives, the holy, unapproachable father. And then there is the world where humans live, earth, broken, messed up, right? Up there in the invisible world called heaven, God lives, and that place is good and perfect. Down here where human beings live, this place is broken and evil, constantly in conflict, never in contact. These two worlds do not come together. And so here's humanity. And the question is then, how do we ever get out of this broken, messed up world and hopefully go and live in the glorious, perfect world where the Father 
is. And this school of thought called Gnosticism came and said, well, inside of you, there is a spirit part that is perfect and flawless. And if you can just get that spirit part to get to heaven, when you die, you will be good. And the way that happens is by listening to us and we will teach you the secret ways. So come and follow us and listen to us. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus is cool. Jesus is cool. But um, what he is is kind of a, a lower level angelic being, low in rank. And he came to earth on a, message, on a messaging trip to tell us that it's possible, if you listen to us, to get back to God. But he really wasn't God. He was this strange angelic being. He wasn't human either. He just looked human and he seemed to suffer, but he really was this low-level angelic being who you really need to listen to is us. And the church in Colossae started to believe this. They started to lean into this. And when Paul hears about it, he sends them this letter. And in this letter, he just accents, he lifts up the person of Jesus beautifully. And this is what Colossians chapter 1 is doing. Here's what Paul says. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Um, look at this. We'll put it up on the screens. You can follow along that way. The son, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Don't get it twisted. He's not some low-level angel sent on a messenger errand to come to earth. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, the things in heaven and the things on earth, the visible things and the invisible things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. Do not minimize who Jesus is. Verse 17, he, Jesus, he's before all things, and in him, Jesus, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead because he really did die. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on a cross here on earth. Paul goes off on this Gnosticism ideology because here's what Paul understands. This idea of dualism, this idea of Gnosticism, it threatens the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ who is from heaven but came down to earth, who is God but he is also human right? Who is creator, but he also became a created being. Who is immortal, but he also died on a cross. And what Paul realizes, if y'all starts to buy into this, you will miss the beauty of the gospel in which Jesus Christ brought the world together through his death on a cross to reconcile. And if you separate these worlds, you miss the significance of who Jesus is is. If you minimize who Jesus is, well, he's some lower level, you, he cannot hold your world together. And if you say Jesus never came to earth, he cannot save you. And so Paul goes off and just accents Jesus beautifully, 
putting him in his place. So this morning, we want to look at another beautiful description of who Jesus is um, in Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 16 primarily. And so um, we'll put it up on the screen. You can follow along that way. Here's what Paul says. Just reminding the Colossians of who Jesus is. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. Wow. For in him, Jesus, all things were created. Ooh, powerful. If it has ever existed anywhere in creation, it was created in Jesus. Doesn't matter whether it's in that world or this world. If it's anywhere, it was created in Jesus, in Jesus. Such a curious phrase, one Paul loves to use, in him in Jesus, in Christ, in him. And at first glance, this may seem like a simple phrase to be glossed over, but don't you dare. This is rich. Uh, When Paul uses the preposition in, in speaking about Jesus, um, let's go to school just for a little bit. I know um, it's the holidays, but um, he's speaking of a fixed object on which a non-fixed object is defined or dependent. Ooh, write that down. That is so good. Share that with your friends, right? It's a fixed object on which a non-fixed object is defined or dependent. Um, A fixed object around which a non-fixed object revolves. It's a fascinating word. It's like how we would think of the sun in the context of our solar system, right? Like the sun is a relatively fixed object around which the earth and the moon and some of the other planets orbit. The earth and the moon are in the sun's atmosphere. The sun doesn't do much It's a fixed object and other things revolve around it and they get their definition and depend on that fixed object. It's an interesting word that Paul uses. If you remove the sun from the solar system, if you remove the sun from the equation, the moon and the earth are done because they are defined by and dependent on this fixed object. The moon and the earth need to stay in the sun's atmosphere. If they step outside of it, man, they start to spiral and eventually likely disintegrate. They have to stay in the atmosphere of the sun. Paul loves it when he speaks about Jesus to use that preposition in Jesus, in Christ. He does it a lot in the book of Ephesians. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now in Christ. Powerful. 
You have now entered into a dependent relationship with Jesus as the centerpiece. Jesus is the fixed, unchanging, constant. The son, if you will, S-O-N, you know what I did there, right? You now revolve around him like a moon, like the earth. You are fully defined and fully dependent on your connection to Jesus. If you remove Jesus from the center, you start to spiral and disintegrate. If you remove yourself from the atmosphere of in Jesus, you're done. That's the language that Paul is using. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be, he says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You will always spiral into spiritual poverty, constantly searching for affirmation and significance and meaning and relevance in your job and in your friends and in your stats and in your paycheck. But you will never really, really find it until you come into the atmosphere of a relationship with Jesus. And it is in that context, in Christ, that every spiritual blessing is available to you. Your spiritual bank account is overflowing. Your sense of significance and validation becomes real. He says in the very next verse, for he... God chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen, you can try and clean yourself up as much as you want. Make yourself right before God. Kind of brush yourself clean as much as you want. You can give it a shot, but you are going to find yourself spiraling into guilt and into legalism, just trying harder and harder. And the minute you think you've just got something right, you realize the 15 places that you've got something wrong, and then you start chasing them and you are spiraling, trying to make yourself clean or right before God. It is only in Christ, in the atmosphere of your connection to Jesus Christ, that God sees you as blameless and holy. Every other attempt will spiral and disintegrate, and you try again, and it will spiral and disintegrate, except in Christ. He said in verse 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, meaning, some of y'all are waiting for January 1, 2024 because you're going to make some new resolutions and you are going to try harder to break free from those destructive patterns and behaviors and habits. You know the things that you know are destroying your life and you shouldn't be doing them, but yet you continue to do them and then you, 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 you think like you got a little glimpse of, of victory and then you spiral back into those behaviors and then you try a new trick and a new resolution. And Paul says, true freedom from slavery to your impulse is found in the sun's orbit. It's found in 
Jesus in Christ. Such a powerful phrase. Paul loves to paint the picture of Jesus as this fixed constant. And in connection to him, we are fully defined and we are fully dependent. And I'm just telling you right now, if you are trying to make life work in its most beautiful way, apart from being in connection, revolving around the person of Jesus Christ, in connection to him, you are going to be sensing an increasing spiraling and eventually a disintegration. It is in connection to the person of Jesus Christ. But here in Colossians 1, Paul is saying that about everything in creation, which is just peculiar. Look again, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. That is incredible. Um, I don't know about you, but if you grew up around the church, again, like I grew up around the church, I tend to think about everything being created by Jesus, but that's not what Paul is stressing here. Here he is saying, no, no, no. Everything was created in Jesus. Ooh. Jesus was the fixed centerpiece around which everything ever created anywhere in creation was created in the atmosphere of Jesus. Paul, that's an interesting way for you to describe creation. Jesus was the fixed reality, the sun, if you will, around which everything else was created. Everything was created around Jesus and only makes its fullest sense in its connection to Jesus. Everything was created in Jesus and therefore is ultimately defined by and dependent on its connection to the person of Jesus. When God created every single thing that was ever created, he made it to find its fullest purpose and definition in light of Jesus. That's why it says in verse 17, look at the next verse. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, Jesus, all things hold together. Everything in creation only makes its fullest sense when it relates to, when it revolves around, and when it reflects the fixed when it reflects the person of Jesus Christ, it was made in him. I love that. It will change the way you think about every created thing. Every created thing is designed in some way to relate to and reflect Jesus. And it's at its fullest when it's revolving around Jesus the way it was created 
to. Otherwise, it spirals out of definition, out of access, and into chaos and disintegration. Wow, Paul. Which means, if you look closely enough at anything in creation, or if you think biblically enough about anything in creation, you might be like, I think I see Jesus in everything. Now we're just having fun getting to know Jesus. Like you can go outside right now, pick up a rock, look at that rock and talk to it and tell it you were created in Jesus, designed to reflect Jesus. Matter of fact, you are not going to be your best rock unless you somehow reflect Jesus. And the people coming out of church will think you're crazy and they'll pray for you, except they were in the service so they might understand and they might pick up a rock as well. Look at that thing and be like, you were totally made in Christ to revolve around him somehow and reflect Jesus. I think I see Jesus in the rock. The rock was made in him and for him. Woo. Come on, some of you grown up around the church, come on. That's some Eastern philosophy. God is in everything pantheistic nonsense. We should pick up rocks and throw them at you. You, you would be welcome to do that, but I'm very nimble. And so you would miss, and then I'd pick that rock up, and then I'll tell you, hey, remember those one time in the Bible when God's chosen people, the Israelites, uh, they were in the desert, and they ran out of water and they were thirsty, and they were starting to die of thirst. And so they cried out to God in desperation. And God, in his mercy, he spoke to Moses, the leader of his people, and he said to him, hey, Momo, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and speak to the... Mm. Speak to the rock, and what will happen? if you know the story, and water will come out of the rock. Moses was in a bad mood, so he grabbed a stick and he hit the rock, and the moment he hit the rock, what happened? Water came out of the rock, and the Israelites drank to their satisfaction, and all of them lived. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, you got to see this for yourself. And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them in the desert, and the rock was, say it. Because even the rock ultimately was created to insult. Let me keep reading here. Um. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Hmm. 
Let me keep reading. First Peter 2 verse 6, for in the scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, the stone, by the way, will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Even the rocks were created to ultimately find their greatest expression in somehow reflecting the person of Jesus. One of the reasons Paul says he's not some sub, he's not some mid, he's not some angelic being, but Speaking of angelic beings, there was one time uh, a leader in the Old Testament named Joshua. Uh, he ran into an angel of the Lord holding a sword in his hand. And Joshua asks the angel, hey, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the enemy's side? And I love the angel's response said, I'm not on either of your sides. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And then said to Joshua, you better take your shoes off. You are standing on holy ground. Because the angel was Jesus. Which makes me love that answer even more. What do you mean whose side am I on? I'm the son. I'm the fixed one. Y'all revolve around me. I don't revolve around you or your sides. Because even the angels or authorities, all things were created for him. Even the angelic beings, in some sense, are created to find their ultimate expression, not just in worshiping him, but in reflecting him in some way. Ah, but not all things. How about like, what about like fire? It's interesting because he is a consuming fire. And you should ask Moses about a burning bush situation one time. And you should ask John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation when he saw Jesus. Ask John, what color were his eyes? Fire. But in case you're scared of fire, he's also the living water. He's that too. Even water is about Jesus. Okay, but, okay, but not food though. How come he's the bread of life? Coming down from heaven like manna. And in a few moments, when we get to experience communion together, we are going to be reminded of the way that bread is a reflection of his body broken for us. Okay, okay, I'll give you food, but not animals. I'll stop it. He's the Lion of Judah. Also, he's the lamb that was slain for our sins. And also, he's like a hen that cares tenderly for its chicks, the Bible says. Yeah, but those are cute animals. It's interesting. Um, I, I hate snakes, but... 
There was one time the Israelites, again, they were in a dying situation in the desert and there were snakes. And the only way they could live was when Moses lifted what? A bronze snake in the desert. And anyone that looked on the snake and believed lived. There was another time when Moses, it was really fascinating. Moses had this big rod thing, this staff, and he dropped it on the ground and it turned into what? Do you remember? A snake. Pharaoh, he's over here like, "Mm, my dudes can do that too. And so his guys throw their sticks onto the ground and those sticks turn into what? Snakes. (laughs) What happened? Moses' snake ate their snakes. The Bible is good. Almost like, um, I'm the chief snake. Eat all your little religious snakes, your fake snakes. Even in the animal kingdom, I love the way the Bible reminds us of that. But yeah, not the heavens though. Yeah, not the planets. It's fascinating. He is, he is the bright and morning star. Come on, Christmas, he is the light of the world. Ah, but not nature. He is the vine and we are the branches. He is the lily of the valley. Um, a PG moment here, but even the birds and the bees, and I'm not talking about the literal ones, I'm being coded for the kids. <laughs> Woo! Because I don't know if you knew, but a man and his wife, them gonna do some things. And the Bible says, the two shall become one flesh. Woo! And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, oh, about that. I'm actually not ultimately talking about their little marital situation. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And the intimacy between Jesus and the bride he loves called the church. And your marital birds and bees situation is just commandeered to paint a picture ultimately of Jesus and his love for the bride. Yep. Okay. It's pretty cool. Even the stories we make up. There's a reason I think, by the way, we love the fairy tale stories that we love. You know, oh, it's the prince who came out of the castle and then he, he went into the, the dark forest and he, and he fought the villain and he, he slayed the dragon and then he, he saved the, 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 the princess that he loved and he, and he kissed her and she came to life and they lived happily ever after. And we're like, that is awesome. And Paul would say, even that. Strangely enough, sounds like a plagiarized version of a story of the prince who left his castle and came into a dark and broken world and he fought the villain called sin and he slayed the dragon called Satan. Also that he would land a kiss on the princess he loves and bring her to life and they will live happily ever after. Even that's about Jesus. And we made the stories up. 
It is amazing what Paul is saying about the person of Jesus Christ. He is the prince and he is the king. He is the servant. Jesus is all that. And it's Christmas. Can we talk about humanity? And of all the ways that God could have chosen to reveal himself to the world, he chose a human being's body. Not just for a moment, like a rock or a burning bush, but to become one with a human body forever and ever and ever. All things in creation, if you look at them closely enough or biblically enough, are ultimately designed to reflect or revolve around the person of Jesus in some way. By the way, it is so significant that Paul says Jesus is before all things. Ooh, that's so good. He is before all things because it might be tempting to think God was kind of scurrying around and saying to himself like, mm, I need a really, really good illustration to paint a picture of Jesus and his love for the church. I know, how about marriage? That will preach. Or that God was saying like, man, I need a really ferocious, strong animal that could um, help um, to, to, to represent Jesus. What, what should we use? Oh, I know, why don't we use the lion? That'll be a good one. Or that God was saying, oh, we need to send Jesus, you know, pre-incarnate down to earth. And it's like, what should we send him as? Ah, <sighs> oh, a human being. Paul says, nope, that is not how it worked. Come on, y'all. That's not how it worked. Jesus is before all things. Jesus is the fixed reality, which means, which means when God created marriage, he created, we are going to need something uh, that's going to paint a picture of you, Jesus, and the way you redeem an undeserving movement of people called the bride. What should we create? And so then he created marriage. It is not good for this man to be alone in order to reflect the picture of Jesus and his love. We, we need to bring him a helper suitable for him. And he created marriage. And I'm telling you, when God created the lion, he created the lion in light of Jesus, not the other way around. So when you go outside, you look at a rock, you're like, oh, that's so interesting. Even the rocks, he made them with Jesus as the centerpiece, Jesus as the template, Jesus as this fixed reality. When he was in the ground shaping the human frame, he was shaping it in light. We'll make this one in our image because we're going to inhabit one of these. So how should we make it in light of Jesus, not the other way around? What Paul is saying is, powerful. Every single thing in creation, an angelic being, Jesus is the prototype template, the fixed reality. How are we going to make something? Ooh, let's make a lily. 
of the valley, yes, of the valley, and then all of it with Jesus as the centerpiece. I'm telling you, creation beautifully was designed in light of Jesus who was before all things. Because sometimes I'm tempted to think like, oh, that's a cool illustration. Mm -mm. Paul says it was how he created with Jesus in the center of it all. Everything was created around Jesus and only makes its fullest sense in its connection to him, orbiting around him and reflecting Jesus. This would have shattered Gnosticism, especially in the way that Gnostics loved to compartmentalize, you know, creation. Like, no, some things uh, God likes and other things, that has nothing to do with him. Heavens, yes. Earth, that has nothing to do with him. These things, yes, those things have nothing to do with him. And the reality is we tend to do the same Gnostic stuff at times, right? Like some things in creation, well, that's Jesus' domain. Those things are designed to reflect him, and then other things, eh, not so much. Some things, they're his business. Other things, they're kind of beneath him. And, and, and you know, he becomes Lord and, and of certain things. And certain things are designed to revolve around him and reflect him. And other things, like, that doesn't even matter. Which is what the Gnostics did. He couldn't care less about that. And you listen to us long enough and you hear us say stuff like this. I'll give you a simple example. You hear people say, like, very piously, like, he doesn't care if you had grapes or grape nuts for breakfast. He doesn't care about any of that. Doesn't matter to him. Oh, no? No. Okay. So some things matter and some things don't. Some things were created for and other things were not, right? And we start to create these compartments. He cares about people, yes, but he couldn't care less about trees. Those dumb green thumbs, right? And we start to create like, whoa, no, no, you can't, you, you, this matters, this does, and Paul's saying, all things in creation, do not dare take something out of the atmosphere of Jesus. That doesn't have any relevance or matter to him. If it's in creation, it is by him and for him. We're the ones who say, throw that thing out of there. Like, he doesn't care about your pet any more than he cares about our pests. It's really interesting. Like, oh, no, no, no. I think he does care about our pets very much. He doesn't care about our pests outside until my child falls in love with a little pesty mouse outside. Then it becomes a pet, and now I'm confused. But we're the ones who do. No, he cares about the inside the house ones, but not the outside of the house ones. And we've created all of these compartments, right? And if you don't believe me, I'll tell you one of the things we say or at least insinuate in church. Like he, listen, he doesn't care about your sports on the weekend. He just cares that you're in church serving. So while you're at your sporting event, all you need to worry about is the fact that you skipped church and you should be serving at church. Interesting. He cares about the ministry, but he doesn't care about marketing. 
I mean, he cares about the more godly, you know, people like pastors in, in ministry because that's sacred job. My job as a stay-at-home parent, that's mundane. That's secular. And we create these compartments. And Paul is saying, uh, all things. Now, I'm not trying to convince you that everything matters equally or is equally valuable to him. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that all things were created to somehow reflect and revolve around Jesus and they make the most sense in connection to him. And we are the ones who are notorious for separating them and compartmentalizing them in many ways. But if it's all about Jesus, then the question becomes, listen, how can I make sure that everything in me is revolving around Jesus? Everything. Not only certain aspects of my life, but not others. No, how do I ensure that everything about me is revolving around Jesus? How do I make sure that everything I touch reflects Jesus more fully? Because that's why it was created. How do I get to play a part in that? Which is a glorious thought. Right? How do I look at more of life and my life like it matters to him. It's in creation and it was created for him. And I'm telling you, some of you have wrestled with your career choice like you wish you could do more for Jesus, but you work in a secular marketplace. So man, obviously seek the Lord on what he's calling you to do, but don't ever create those Gnostic categories that say, well, I got to wait till I get off work to, to go volunteer at church for me to start reflecting and revolving around Jesus. I've got to leave the soccer event and do something more spiritual. And then I've got to leave the sacred and I've got to do it. And then we start to create these subcultures because those things matter and these things don't. And for some of us, we've wrestled through. Like I turn off my Jesus mode when I go to work, when I go to the coffee shop, because that doesn't matter. And some of us will walk past beautiful sunsets and will miss the glory of the way. That's just screaming. Come on. Psalm 19, what's creation doing? Ah, oh, Jesus. All creation yelling the glory. And we're just walking by like nothing is because we're busy trying to do this. And we are missing the ways the places he has placed us are called to beautifully reflect him, come on, you ought never to say, I'm sorry, I'm just a business person. Because I don't know if you heard, but Jesus was the businessman who went on a trip and he left his money for his direct reports to invest and then he was going to come and check on his profits. Reflect him beautifully in your business. Don't turn off your Jesus mode. He's the king of that creation too. And it's designed to thrive most as you figure out how does it reflect him? How does it revolve around him? Come on, don't ever say, I'm just a sales person. Jesus was the best. He said, come and buy food and drink. It will cost you nothing, but come buy. I'll pay for it, but come buy. Come on, let your salesman skills reflect 
the person of Jesus. Let your saleswoman skills reflect the person of Jesus. Oh, I'm just a teacher. He was the master rabbi. Stop it. Be masterful in your educational domain. Reflecting Jesus. Come on, don't, I'm just a food industry. <laughs> Have you ever seen Jesus cater a party of 20,000 people with some fish and some bread? He's a master caterer. Reflect him as a server, reflect him in the food industry. It was created to make much of the person of Jesus Christ. It's just the medical field. What? A, right now I could use you. Right now I'm struggling. But secondly, come on, he's a great physician who heals. It's just the legal field. I don't know if you knew, but right now Jesus is sitting on the throne talking to the Father on your behalf as your advocate. He is interceding for you right now. The way you intercede for your clients, the way you speak up for those who you represent, come on, let that reflect the person of Jesus. I'm just a spouse. Well, come on, marriage exists to paint a picture of Jesus and the church. You've gone off access and you've made it about you and your dreams and your goals. And as a marriage couple, you need to come back and figure out, is our marriage reflecting Jesus and his love for the church? And if not, how do we revolve around him and reflect him more beautifully? Come on, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he left the earth to go to heaven. To do what? To prepare a place for you. He's making up your room. Do you know how much it matters the way you interact with your house? Reflects Jesus. But when we start to create these Gnostic categories, we miss the beauty of all of that. Well, it's just a sport. Come on. All he does is win, 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 no matter what. And on Easter, his body got up and it stayed there. Now I'm talking to the number one NAIA men's basketball team in the country. Come on, y'all. Represent him. And let the way you're kicking butt reflect Jesus. Right? All things. All things, it all matters, it's all mission, it's all marvel worthy. I challenge you, bring everything you do into orbit and ask, how is this part of my life designed to reflect Jesus? Ask that about a leaf, for goodness sakes. You're gonna to start to see some church people standing just staring at a tree. And they're gonna be like, I've never seen that before. I used to say, it's just trees, it's just sunsets. It's just a lake. And all of a sudden, I'm like, have you ever looked at the intricate detail of a blade of grass? I don't even want to step on them right now. And you will start to marvel at the beauty of who Jesus is. All things. 
all things. What does it look like for us to bring all we are into orbit around the person of Jesus? And I mean all things, your hobbies, your habits, your hang-ups, all of them, everything. I'm talking about like, well, but you don't understand. Like I struggle with porn. Yes, bring that into alignment with Jesus. And what you realize is what the church often does is says like, no, 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 no. All that stuff should be thrown out, right? And this is where we start to say like, it's, it's, it's sex is, is gross, yucky, and, and it's save it for marriage, right? And we just start throwing things out and we miss the fact that no, what sin is, is something beautiful that has been taken off axis and so it's spiraled. And we want to bring all of our sinful struggles into his presence and say, would you please help us realign to this fixed center of Jesus? And we want to let them reflect you the way that they're designed to reflect you. No, you don't understand, but I have a wine habit. Yeah, he made wine. Lots of it one time at a party, but that's for another time. And what you realize is, man, I've taken it out of its appropriate axis and I'm misusing it. But even that, I'm not like throw it all out. It's like, how is there a way for this to, to reflect you? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the vine. And, and um, the grapes and the wine to ultimately paint a picture of communion and my blood and how I cover your sin, but it can't be something you depend on. And so maybe you need to leave it for a while. I don't know what the answer will be, but my point is, if you start to do what Gnosticism does, you're going to start to say, but I struggle with this, so I either have to get it rid of it completely, or I've got to wait till I'm not doing it at all, and then I'll come back into orbit. Jesus is like, I can handle all of your mess. Bring it all into orbit, and watch what I start to do with realigning it and setting you free and giving you new perspective so that you can reflect me with your sexuality, so you can reflect me with your hobbies, so you can reflect me at work. Bring it all back to me in alignment with who I am. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I praise you for who you are. I, I, I ask you to forgive me for the ways that I've missed you in so many of the beautiful things and the simple things. I ask you to forgive me for the ways that what you've created, I've taken and I've decided you don't care about it, so I'm gonna do whatever I want with it and it's off axis and I've distorted it. And I just pray that you'd redeem and restore as I come back to you. And I pray that for all of us, that we would come back into alignment with you and that we would work differently, we would play differently, we would think differently because all of those things are designed to reflect you. Help every single one of us long to revolve our entire lives around you. You are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.